can tell you this about my experience as a human being in midlife. That's me, midlife. Sleep has never mattered to me more than it does right now. I love sleep. In a way, I did not as a child or a young adult. I love it even more than I did as a new mother of infant children, which is something I didn't think possible at the time. I thought that was the most I could ever love sleeping. I am devoted to sleep. I track my sleep. I make changes in how I exercise and hydrate and eat to improve my sleep. I feel resentment when work or social activities impinge on my sleeping patterns and times. I cherish my sleeping and waking routines in ways that would be embarrassing to former versions of myself. So you can imagine, perhaps, how I feel about the ending of today's gospel lesson. Keep awake. Keep awake forever, all the time, until Jesus comes back. What can that possibly mean? We have been waiting for Jesus' return, the promised coming in the clouds with power and great glory for over 2,000 years now. When do we stop? When do we rest? When do we sleep? I will get to those questions. But first, I want to note that we are in a different gospel this week. Welcome to the Gospel of Mark. Also, Happy New Year. As Episcopalian Christians, we begin our new church year toward the end of the secular calendar year every year. And one way we mark it, no pun intended, is by changing up. Did you get it? Did it hit? Okay, just making sure. It was a little bit intended. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Uh, One way we mark it is by changing up the gospel that we hear the most from in any given year. So this past year, we've heard the most from the Gospel of Matthew. And starting today, our lectionary will give us Gospels mostly from the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of our four Gospels, and it was probably written first. The Gospel of Mark has no nativity, no virgin birth, and the oldest versions have no record of Jesus appearing physically to his disciples after the empty tomb. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is a doer more than he is a talker. And our reading from this morning is the tail end of his longest and last speech in that Gospel, where Jesus predicts the fall of the temple in Jerusalem and then says the words we just heard, telling his followers what they can expect after that awful thing takes place. This is a central event in the lives of the community that Mark was written for. The fall of the temple, the destruction of it, it didn't fall down, it was destroyed by the Roman Empire. It happened in 70 CE, and this gospel was written sometime shortly after that or around then. So where, for the world inside the text... You've heard me talk about these worlds before. For the world inside the text, the world of the story, Jesus is preparing his followers for his destruction, his death, which will happen shortly. In the world around 
the reading, the world of the community that preserved these words. They are dealing with not only the fact that Jesus has not yet returned, and many of them had that expectation that they would see that in their lifetime, but also with the destruction of the temple, the center of their spiritual universe is gone. The temple has fallen and Jesus has not returned. How do they survive this? This is a central question the text is asking. How do we survive when the things we depend on, the things we take for granted, fall apart? We are still asking this question, are we not? As we navigate another traumatic year of war and climate change and political division, not to mention the personal tragedies that just are part of being human. Current scholarship on trauma, both individual and communal, has shown that there are lots of ways our bodies and our brains help us cope with unimaginable loss. One of them is to find ways to numb ourselves to it. The most extreme examples might be people who become catatonic after traumatic events. And the less extreme but just as real might be examples of how many of us dealt with the world-ending experience of the pandemic by numbing out with booze or food or Netflix When things are too awful to look at, we tend to find ways not to look. And when things are too awful to be felt, we find ways not to feel them. And that's not bad. That's survival. One of the ways we make it. I find myself reaching for this numbing even now. When my brain flinches away from the realities of dead children in Gaza and Israel, or when I begin to catastrophize about the future of our planet. Anytime I allow myself to give up hope in exchange for numbness or despair. But our gospel this morning is not about despair. Did you notice that? And it is not about punishment. Nowhere in our text today does Jesus say bad things will happen to those who fall asleep. This is a text about hope after horrible things. And it's about trusting that every moment is a moment where Jesus could show up, arrive, redeem, and bless us. Our gospel is about not allowing the crushing defeats of this world to disembody us from the lived reality of hope. So back to my sleep obsession for just one minute. There are all sorts of reasons human beings need to sleep. But the most important reason is so that we can be awake. It's ironic. If we want our brains and bodies to have everything we need in our awake lives, we have to have high quality 
sleeping lives. I love being alive. I love it more the longer I do it. I want to live a long time and well. And to make that happen, I need to spend as close to eight hours a night as I can solidly asleep, allowing my brain to rest, providing time for my subconscious to process my life through dreaming, and to build the neural pathways that maintain my long-term memory and emotional resilience. Sleep is one of the best ways to get ready for life. We sleep so that we can be present, so that we can keep awake to our lives. So on this first Sunday of Advent, our job is not to maintain a constant state of hypervigilance, lest an unexpected God show up to punish us. That sounds exhausting, and exhaustion is no way to live. The call of this season is to prepare for something wonderful, Something wonderful even within the context and reality of horrible things. It is to do what we need to do to stay present to the reality which this gospel and honestly so many other apocalyptic texts in our Bible are constantly pointing to. The reality that when the world writ large or our little worlds come crashing down, it is not a sign of abandonment or ending but a moment where the goodness of God can show up and new things can begin. So when do we stop? When do we rest? When do we sleep? Well, right now. We're I mean, not right now, but right now. Right now in Advent is the time to stop and be still. Advent is a time to rest, not the rest of exhausted collapse and not the sleep that comes after drinking or numbing your brain. Advent is like the sleep I have fallen in love with, a time to be still on purpose, to allow your heart space to heal and to wonder, a time to gently and lovingly build capacity for long-term memory and emotional resilience. If you are already exhausted by the demands of secular Christmas, the gifts and songs and lights and pressure of family or loneliness of not having family, Advent is a place for you to come and rest. If you cannot watch one more newsreel, if your heart has gone catatonic, from the trauma of being alive. Advent has space for you to just be, to pray and breathe and regain your capacity for hope. And if you're gangbusters for all the energy and light and gift giving of Christmas, that's okay too. But Advent invites you to slow down a bit, to become present to a deeper sense of wonder. The doorkeeper in the final parable is just one member of the household who waits in hope 
for the return of their master. While one person waits at the door, no doubt others cook and clean and play and tend the hearth and sleep. As Christian people, we practice hope together, which means we practice together, living as if 2,000 years ago God was born a baby and lived among us, loving us and joining us in life. We practice together, living as if Jesus is present now in the faces of our neighbors, arriving every moment we choose love, every moment we trust that we are held by the one who knows us. And we practice together living in hope that there is another another Advent coming. One where this beloved, broken world will be healed. We do not know the hour or the day. But we do know the God who is approaching. The one who was and is and is to come. Advent is here, friends. Let's rest and prepare so we can practice hope, so we can wake up to God.